Hello, and welcome back to In Person, brought to you by Bisabo. In case we haven't already met, I'm Rachel Rappaport, and in each episode of In Person, we explore the world's most daring events and the people who make them happen. Today, we're chatting with Richard Black, President and General Manager of Superfly. Richard oversees Superfly's agency services business and drives the development of award-winning strategic and creative marketing solutions for leading brands by leveraging Superfly's unparalleled expertise in cultural storytelling, community building, and experience creation. With over 25 years of experience, Richard has led a variety of executive roles within global agency networks. Most recently, Black was the Chief Growth Officer at Momentum Worldwide, where he achieved unprecedented growth for the agency's New York flagship office greatly increasing client acquisition year over year and modernizing the agency's brand across all communication channels. Throughout his career, Black has excelled at fostering innovation and collaboration with an inclusive leadership style that brings out the best in those with whom he works. In this episode, we explore the power of experiential marketing and designing immersive brand experiences. We talk about how agencies have adapted and continue to stay at the forefront of the ever-changing events industry, and we discuss why experiences are the most important investment you can make for your brand. And stay tuned after the episode credits to hear Richard's perspectives on how the Superfly team creates experiences that tap into cultural storytelling. Let's get to it. Here's Richard Black and our host, Brandon Raffleson. Richard, welcome to In Person. Thank you for having me. I'm stoked to talk to a representative, a senior leader over at Superfly, a company that I've known about for a while. While I haven't been to Bonnaroo, I went to say like Lollapalooza way back in the day. The friends in my friend group, they went to Bonnaroo and they always had such magical stories to tell. Of course, that's just one of the many experiences under the Superfly umbrella these days. And I'm excited to explore some of those with you. But for starters, I know that you have an extensive career in driving brand experiences even before Superfly. So could you walk us through briefly some of those different steps of your career and how they led to where you are today? I'd be happy to. Again, thank you for having me today on In Person. And while my career was not shaped at Bonnaroo either, (laughs) I did not attend a music festival, though many of the folks who I work with have. I have been working in experiences for the better part of two decades actually coming up on my third decade of working actually in experiences. They were called events then. So there's been a lot of changes in the industry over time. And it really comes down to, for me as an individual, is that the things that I love to participate in, they've always been experiences. And I think that's why people have such an emotional connection to music festivals and other things that you do with others. And so that really is the secret power to this. And the business has obviously changed dramatically over the years, as all marketing has. So I started out, I wanted to produce television commercials. That really was the thing I wanted to do. I have a comms degree, undergrad comms degree, and worked a lot in video in front of the camera and behind the camera. And that really was my entree into the industry. I began to PA and do things like that. And I actually started my career at Saatchi and Saatchi, which at the time was the world's largest advertising agency. Famously, CFO there was Martin Sorrell before he was Sir Martin Sorrell of WPP and now S4 Capital fame. He was my boss's boss. And it really was a first row seat to the advertising community and advertising world. 
And I started actually working in the finance group. I was part of like a training program and ended up in sort of client finance. And I was managing Procter & Gamble's budgets early on. So I learned the business from the inside out. And over time, I began to look at the various opportunities or disciplines within an agency. From there, I went to Shia Day and I really honed my operational expertise. And I decided I wanted to get an MBA and I wanted to move into the business side and really work on the client side of the business. So I did that. And it really is by happenstance that I ended up in experiential. I need to interview someone from a chosen field related to my industry, but that could not be the company I worked for. And I interviewed this gentleman. His name was Victor Mbembo, and he owned a small company in New York called the Hadley Group. And sure enough, they were an experience-based company. They did some events. They did some other work for brands as well. And the very first project that I got put on there was a new business pitch for Sharing Plow. And in the morning, we pitched correct all laxatives, little glass figurines to go inside tea bags. And in the afternoon, we pitched Copper Tone Sport with an entire, what you call now a 360 degree integrated campaign, live event component all around their brand premise. We lost pitch one on correct all laxatives. I was probably never so happy in my life. But we, won the <laughs> second, we won the second pitch and it really began my journey to work in experiential. And I learned firsthand what makes a really great experience for consumers in that case and also and for that particular brand for what works at retail. That really was the start of it. And since then, I've looked and gravitated towards companies that this is the thing that they do. It's their core mission, that they believe in the power of brand experience. And that's really where I have cut my teeth and learned to become uh, you know, an executive and a leading practitioner in the industry. Wow. So it all started with Coppertone and Laxatives. Yes. But beforehand, you had experience you know, getting exposure to the production side of things through your communications background and learning the ins and outs of the agency world through Saatchi and Saatchi. Yes. And then, you know, that really helped me in every role that I've had. My current role is really an operations role, how to run and effectively manage an agency and drive its growth and set its vision. It's very operationally focused. It also obviously has components of managing clients and developing creative and working with others. But now I direct from a different position in the company is where I was when I was coming up in the industry. I had more like mainline responsibilities for those various parts of the business. So yeah, could we dive into that a little bit more? You were brought into Superfly in 2020, a very interesting time to say the least, to join an experiential agency. You know, What was sort of your remit stepping on board and what were those responsibilities you were looking to take on? Absolutely. You're right. 2020 has been a really fascinating time for anyone who transitions into a new company. It requires a lot of different things and I'll come on to those in a moment. But I really was attracted this is the company by one of the founders, uh, Rich Goodstone. He and I had the pleasure of actually meeting prior to my joining the company. I think we actually met on leap year. So it was probably one of the last times that people actually sat down and had a dinner together. And he and I you know, had a really great conversation about the future of the experiential world and his agency and what he wanted to do moving forward. And I was really intrigued by an opportunity to build something. Even though the company is 25 years old, I really came here to help the company write its next 25 years and help them scale the business and drive some significant step change growth as the definition of experience evolves. And it really caused me to rewrite my entire approach to running and operating an agency. 
First, we're live event is our core business with a significant portion of our revenues there. Although I think we were better set up than most other companies. We've been doing virtual experiences since the early days of Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo was one of the first brands to be on YouTube and creating our own content channel and doing live streaming. And so, you know, we already had made that a part of our organization and clients nail us for that. So our pivot wasn't as great as many other companies and many other of the folks that I have worked with, whether it was in the past or other other agencies. Really, ours was more about recalibrating. So we just began to recalibrate coming out of those times in March for like the darker days. And it really was focused on our employees' well-being and health. That was the primary concern. And we fundamentally shifted our focus. We focused inward more. We certainly checked in on all of our clients. We did a significant amount of business in the virtual space and helping them continue their relationship with their customers, usually through virtual. But we didn't just take live events and flip them into virtual events. That actually doesn't really work. But you know, we, our focus has been on, and my focus has been on really making sure that we have the best possible talent and they're in the best possible frame of mind as we all continue to come out of this. It's amazing to hear. And you mentioned embracing virtual more. And fun fact to hear that Bonnaroo was <laughs> going virtual way back when. But I think you know that touches on this million-dollar question of how does an experiential agency adapt to the virtual world? How do you bring that same, I can't believe I was there, feeling of those in-person events to virtual? So for years... The largest audience of a live event always sits outside the live event. What you're really trying to gather is intimacy at scale. So if you take a small venue and you have an amazing musical act inside that venue, and I invite you via a live stream technology to view the experience, well, I can have many more people outside the venue than I can inside the venue. So this was probably experiential 2.0 where experiential agencies and brands realize, wow, we could actually scale and get a better return on our investment by widening the aperture beyond live. In sort of like 3.0, that really was the advent of mobile. And as everyone began to think about how do I experience brand experiences on my phone, because that's how I live my life. I'm first generation or Gen Z versus, you know, millennials being like the internet generation. That began to help brands rethink what they're doing. So agencies for all along have been telling brands that it's really an ecosystem that you need to produce. So you need to produce something that is probably rooted in live or may or may not be rooted in live that has a virtual component to it or a digital component to it. And our largest audience sits outside. So to use a provocative word for 2020, that's contagious, meaning that people want to share and talk about it in social. So agencies have been telling their clients this for the better part of a decade. The first thing usually to get cut by a client was a virtual experience. Most of the time, that's what happened. It would be replaced by, well, we'll do something you know, on Twitter or Instagram, et cetera, but we're not really going to invest in using the virtual platforms in the way that we all are living today. So now you can imagine what happened now. Everything is sitting inside virtual. Many clients were not really prepared, thought it was an easy switch to flip. It actually isn't. To your question, how do you create that emotional connection? Well, there's a lot of ways that that can be done. That can be everything from 
inviting you into the experience in a different way, allowing you to choose everything from your own avatar to what your background might look like, to sending you a gift or something to participate with at home. We just had to rethink and reframe the journey to give you all the things that you like about an experience, which are usually some type of nostalgia, some type of escapism, right? An emotional connection, something to share with your friends. These are like the tenets of in real life. And so we apply that thinking to a virtual experience. And, you know, luckily, consumer adoption for everything skyrocketed during the pandemic. So I was like, okay, cool. I will certainly watch that Instagram feed and I'll watch my favorite artists. And I'm so appreciative of doing that. And I think now what you're seeing is, hey, that's great. But now I want to go back to live. But I still want that too for when I can't go to live. So I think you're going to see a lot more of an ecosystemic approach to brand experiences moving forward. So now when you put virtual on the list as a potential option, clients are going to feel a little bit more inclined to keep it on the list. (laughs) Absolutely. And B2C will use it for scale. B2B brands will use it because their entire world of virtual selling went all Zoom. And so we'll see how that works out. And the best brands and agencies, they'll figure out what's appropriate for their constituents and what they're trying to do and who they're trying to reach will be the driver of how much you invest in one versus the other. So cool to hear these ideas around like intimacy at scale and experiential 3.0 and what the future will look like to that extent. But looking back, say, even at 2021 so far or 2020, could you share an example of like one of these virtual experiences that was pretty successful for the Superfly team? We've worked on a couple that come to mind. We worked with Facebook around the Grammys. We brought on Flo Millie as an artist. We were helping them trying to build community within Facebook groups. So we used an artist to help delight them. We celebrated that it was Grammy time. We allowed people to carry on and sort of pay it forward in terms of their experience in the group. And it really plays into the same tenets that our job is to make sure that we basically as an agency, shorten the gap between the brand and the fan by making sure that the fans get an enhanced experience and the brands play a meaningful role in delivering that enhanced experience. And so that's a good example. We also helped the NBA 2K League with their virtual draft. And so we got a little more participation probably up like, I don't know, thousand percent versus previous years by really rethinking the draft experience for them and making some of their constituents part of it and really understanding the gaming audience at heart, what they're interested in seeing. So those are just a couple of the examples. We also work on Intel Master of Game. And so they're targeting PC gamers and they want you to work on their platforms. They've been in the gaming space for literally probably since it's onset good 20 plus years now in gaming and we had to take everything and make it all virtual because globally we're not going into venues no one at intel is going into a venue so there was a lot of work done on you know how do you create more of like a festival environment how do you create a property that you build equity and what does that look like for brands so we've done a lot of that that work actually led us to something that we just did a few weeks ago with clear so you take, you know, Clear Health Pass, right? So Clear is a digital company. It's all about health and safety, always has been. 
primarily built for the traveler and they thought, well, what do we do in you know March of 2020 when no one's traveling? Well, they've got amazing technology. And could they offer that up to not only consumers, but could they offer that up to businesses as we all move back into a post-COVID world? So we did the thing that we're all missing. We reunited families who had been apart. We flew them up. We connected them all. We knew everyone was safe because we put in the proper COVID safety protocols. And that was really at the top of our creative brief. And we used some really interesting technology and clear health pass and we protected everyone's privacy. And when they got there, all they had to do was show their phone. And, you know, I think you'll see the adoption of this technology even faster. I saw today that there's going to be no more paper tickets. That's over with. So any of those sort of interactions that we had handing things to each other, those days are over. So clear was a really interesting platform for us to work on. Probably more importantly to me personally, it was really great for my team. Their like mental health and well-being has been so much on my mind. And to see all of them producing a live experience inside a stadium, again, to see the joy on their faces and them high-fiving and knowing that every person in there is safe was really kind of a very moving experience. And of course, you know, I was very happy that we delighted the client, but It was more important, I think, at that moment to make sure that our team, that was kind of like a sign that, hey, we've been here the whole time and, you know, we're back. We're on our way back. Wow. That's amazing and speaks to the reintroduction of in-person experiences already being underway. That's very cool to hear. With an event like that, working with your team, what were some of the key considerations that you had in mind when bringing this in-person event to life? top of every brief now is safety. That's always been a part of the production world and the production lexicon, for sure, because obviously in large gatherings, things happen, a bit of Murphy's Law at times, whether it's natural disasters, rain, snow, weather. None of us had ever really had to work in a health crisis like we just had. So not only did we make that part of what we were doing, but we took it to a different place and created a creative benefit for brands out of that to help them build trust. And the way you build trust is by reducing fear. So we integrate it into the creative. So when you go to Outside Lands as an example, and that's our festival that'll happen this year around Halloween in San Francisco, you know, you'll see Ranger Rick there wearing a mask. Now, many times what would happen, you would see, like we all see, signs and everything else, but now you make it part of the creative, you make it part of the messaging in a way that people really care. So at the Clear event, you got to take a COVID test prior. So we checked you in, and if you hadn't completed your test, well, we moved you off to the side, and you took a test, and we used a company that provides on-site testing. It's actually a small technology called Lucera. And everyone takes a COVID test and it takes 30 minutes and it's, you know, the first level of micromolecular. And so, you know, we made that part of the experience. And so that's you knowing that every person who's sitting there, okay, is negative. And so that part of the attendee journey was reframed as part of that. We didn't hide that. We made that part of everything we're doing up front. I think you're going to see more of that. I think you already see there's a few venues that I have seen that, you know, if you produce your vaccine card or your vaccine safe or have been vaccinated, you can sit in a different section. And again, all those things are now designed to do what experiences have always done, which is, you know, build trust and relationships with brands. And you do that by, you know, obviously satisfying, delighting them. But in this case, you remove people's fears 
of being together. You know, it brings up an interesting point. Like Superfly is already working on some of these events that have happened and will be happening later on this year. And it seems like you and your team are, you know, putting in place a lot of messaging, the right infrastructure to be health and safety conscious. And simultaneously, these are large events that are happening. I wonder, you know, in some of the conversations I've had with event professionals in the B2B space, it seems like in some cases, 2021 is written off for in-person, especially at a larger scale. From your perspective, sitting in this agency position, what have you seen on the B2B side? B2B is definitely going to lag behind B2C. I think that there's a tremendous pent-up demand inside the consumer space. I think we all want to get out. I know that my kids asked me the other day, can we go to the movies? <laughs> so they had seen in social that AMC or you know somebody was open and they really want to go back and go see a movie. They've probably seen every movie under the sun since <laughs> we went into quarantine. But I think for B2B brands, they have a bit of a unique challenge. A lot of the B2B marketers that I've spoken to over the past you know six to eight months, they flat out were like, nope, you're right. We're not doing anything in 21. We will do things in 2022. Over the past probably three months, that has begun to change. We've had a lot of clients ask us, can you do something in September? What about October? Could we add a live component to our virtual experience? How would you do that? I think part of it is driven by, for many B2B companies, they've yet to figure out if they're going back into an office. So one of the first things that we do is we have a COVID compliance meeting with clients. And some of the things that we ask about are, what are your company's COVID restrictions that they have on employees now? What is your return to work policy or remote work? Are you allowed to attend a shoot if we are to send a camera crew to your house? Or you know, do we just need to send you a camera and you're going to self-administer? And so that has actually been really illuminating. So when large B2B brands are not going back to the office and have not announced when they're going back for some of them, they can't show up then at CES or other large trade show environments. And so that's been certainly one of their challenges. But I really feel like that is beginning to change and change very quickly for brands because they've just been asking us like, hey, we're interested. How do we do this? And I want to say that Salesforce just announced that Dreamforce is going to be a hybrid event. So you're beginning to see that. I know CES announced that we'll be back to live, but those are essentially looking out in the future. They'll be the leaders on the large-scale experiences to go back. And I suppose with any conversation like this, you know, things change so rapidly. So we're recording this at the very beginning of June. <laughs> Who knows uh, what the latest guidance and regulations will be later in June when this episode finally goes live. We took a tack right out of the gate. Like, we need to advise our clients because they're asking, so how do we get ahead? You know, the reason we exist really is to keep our clients ahead of the curve. So we wrote a couple different thought leadership pieces. The first one was virtual. We talked about how do you create a best-in-class virtual experience through, you know, what kind of partners and technology do you need to look at? What are the components that make it viable for your business? Which we gave over 100-plus presentations to brands, and that drove a significant amount of our revenue in 2020 and now into 2021. The second one we wrote was return to life the emergence of live experiences. We gave our first one probably in April because we began to talk about a significant first market mover advantage for brands. We did a fair amount of research, both quantitative and qualitative, plus you know our own POV. And then we talked to a lot of other folks in the industry. 
one of the things that really bubbled to the top is that the choice to go to a live experience varies by household to household, person to person, region to region, brand to brand. I'll go to this type of experience, but not that type of experience. And that was a really big learning early on for brands. So we continue to advise clients on that work. And, you know, right now we're actually working on our largest study to date around the future of experiences. So we've got a panel that we created, I think the first of its kind within the experiential agency world, where we're in active dialogue with consumers of, you know, multi-generations from Boomer down to Gen Z to see what they want and how that's going to play out. So perhaps for another podcast. Cool. So if any of our listeners are interested in checking out some of this data, they can find it over at Superfly? Yep. They can reach out to us and follow us in all of our various social channels. You'll see periodic postings from us on the topic and certainly reach out to any of our people. Be happy to facilitate a conversation. This other thing that I'd love to dive into a little bit more is hybrid. You mentioned that's something that's popping up in your conversation with especially B2B. What are some of the ways that you and your team are thinking about what hybrid looks like for the future? You know, there are all sorts of different approaches that have been shared from like, it's more about a hybrid strategy to, as you mentioned earlier, well, how can we amplify something in person virtually there being an opportunity there? How is Superfly thinking about it? Sure. I think the word hybrid probably this year, people begin to kind of use this interchangeably when they don't want to talk about live versus virtual. So it's like, oh, it's a mix. I'm not so sure that that's actually correct. I think that there's been a bit of like a hybridization of experiences. You have to start with the strategy, right? Your strategy of like who we're trying to reach, what is compelling for them, what is our offering. If you get that right, then you find the different ways in that could often lead you to, well, you know, a virtual experience might be the best way to do this, or a live experience might be the best way to do this. You know, trying to have a one size fits all, I don't think that primarily works for brands. I think they end up watering down a lot of their dollars and don't get the results that they want because they need to be relentlessly focused on the end user and it's B2B, their customers and what's important to their customers. And so I'm always looking at and seeing what's happened. I think there's a good piece. I think it was uh, LinkedIn might have done like a piece on virtual selling. I think has been really kind of fascinating. So I think for B2B brands, the live event will fundamentally change. And there's been fundamental changes over time. You know, if you go back to trade shows, trade shows were basically, or places like Las Vegas were basically created to give people who are going to trade shows something else to do, not the other way around. And trade shows used to go there and write orders. Buyers and sellers got together and you wrote orders and that's when all the order taking would take place. Then you fast forward and then that became well, now it's where we go to you know, build relationships. And I think what happened in COVID is that we were sort of caught somewhere in the middle. And we were used to seeing our customers or B2B brands. We're used to having these large moments, these live experiences for brands to connect and build those relationships. And that kind of went away. So then now they pivoted to virtual. You know, virtual is a little bit different. You know, you have to give the information up front, the things that they need, like your pricing, your product offering, your differentiation. There's less time for relationship building in that way. This hybridization of B2B experiences will again have to be reframed to figure out, well, what is my goal as a brand? 
what do my customers need and you know why would they bother to attend this if your ces large international travelers probably aren't coming like they were in the past because they've proven and their bosses bosses will say why am i sending you from you know asia to las vegas when you can do everything that you need to do right here on the screen now, I think there'll be some you know, point in that we don't have to wait for that one seminal moment that we'll get back to a more balanced approach in connecting with customers. I think Salesforce does a good job with that. There's Dreamforce, their large event that takes place in San Francisco, but they also have smaller connect experiences that are more intimate where you know you get to meet individuals from the company and you get that one-on-one experience outside of being inside a massive event when there's just far too many distractions. Are there any specific projects in the works, either B2B, B2C, that Superfly is working on in the hybrid realm? I'll give you one that we're working on that was just announced. So the Super Bowl of reality TV, BravoCon, will be back (laughs) in October. That's a 40,000-person event inside the Javits Center. We have been working with NBC Universal for the better part of a couple of years now. We spent a whole lot of time this year imagining, reimagining, and figuring out how to actually pull off an experience like this. So I think that this will be one of the largest challenges as a company that we undertake and one of the bigger signals for brands and consumers that we truly are back. Some of the stadiums, whether it's Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets, you'll see some of that. Obviously, we've seen some of that with the NBA already, but These are like a large-scale ticketed experience that's brand-centric that'll be happening in October. And I'm just really excited and really happy for my team. You know, when you kind of create something like this and then to have it sort of be shelved, that's really hard. And you work really hard trying to figure out, well, how do we make this happen for the client? And the client wants it to happen too because it drives such tremendous value for their business. It'll be back in October and, you know, there'll be obviously a lot more details that come with that, but that's something for us all to look forward to. For organizers who are considering bringing back in-person experiences and potentially integrating some sort of digital or virtual component, what's one piece of advice you'd give to them? My advice would come from a learning that we had. You have a lot of choices that you can make and... You know, one of the things that if you're thinking about a digital experience is choosing, you know, which type of platform you need to decide, am I going to be on an XR stage or a Zoom okay? And the way that you decide that, my advice would be, is really think about your audience and the experience that you want to have for them. Tech for the sake of tech doesn't always work and it doesn't always deliver what you're looking to get out of it. So If you're a tech-forward brand, it's important for you to be seen on the leading edge of technology, then you probably want to lean into a more tech-driven solution. If you're a brand that just wants to connect people and the content is really the story and the connection that you have, then you probably want to work with a platform that's a little more simple. We get questions at Superfly, Orion will will help me choose, and it's about managing those trade-offs. So Again, it goes back to the brand. It goes back to who the audience is and what's in their best interest. I think a lot of that happens by asking them. So that would certainly be something I would give as advice. And I've given it quite frequently lately. So that's on the client side. But if we look at the other side of that coin, for other agencies out there, what sort of advice would you give about 
the way teams might be structured in the future and as we approach this hybrid era? Yeah, the agency world has always been about change and innovation and has structured itself as such. You know, we really, as agency individuals, we swarm to the work. We bring different people together. It's really the diversity of thought and disciplines coming together that really make great experiences. So I don't see that changing for the foreseeable future. As a matter of fact, I would actually see it accelerating and that will have more outside voices that play inside agencies for a variety of reasons. Economics probably being one of them as agencies look to climb back out of COVID. I'm not seeing a huge change in that. I think where you're probably seeing is that and what I've always kind of believed in is, look, if you own the thinking, you own the doing. And so for experiential agencies or an agency like Superfly, we want to develop the top-to-top relationships. We want to be there and helping you craft your experiential strategy. And then we're happy to execute against that strategy. I think you know when you don't have that in place, it's really difficult to execute against. I also think it's incredibly difficult to measure the effectiveness of any of the work. And that is a huge gap that happens when you're not sitting at the table strategically or have your experiential partner sitting at the table strategically. What are some of the ways that you are aligning on what those key business outcomes are going to be that a brand is looking to drive with an experience? And then next, figuring out what those metrics are that you're going to evaluate to determine whether or not the event was successful in achieving those outcomes? Well, you asked the holy grail of questions for experiential agency practitioners. I think experience agencies kind of get a bad rap on measurement. There's probably some truth to it that some are not as sophisticated as others. But the value of an experience is not as easily calculated as it is in some other forms of media. The one thing I will always say and start this off is that you can't block an experience. You opt into an experience. And we all see this because when the world went dark, what's the thing we missed most? Going to a concert with friends, going to the movies, right? So the things that were taken away from us, that's why there's such pent-up demand, are the things that you can't block. And unfortunately, you know, they were blocked. More specifically, if you're a brand and you're writing a brief, you know, you need to figure out what the role of experiential plays inside your broader marketing mix. As much as a leader and experiential agency would like you to spend all of your money in experiential, that's probably not the reality. But you should take the same level of introspection as a brand to tie it to your business outcomes. You'll measure the value of your advertising. You'll measure the value of all your digital initiatives. You should want to measure the value of your experiential activities. And it's actually easier today to do that than it's been in the past. You know, sort of like the 1.0 of experiential measurement where they're all the vanity measures, which meant the number of people who visited your event, the capacity in the venue, the number of photos taken. 2.0 from that came where we began to lean more into intimacy at scale and using social for amplification. So now the wider audience was looking at your event. 3.0 really is for those clients who are astute practitioners and will drive it all the way down to the sale. So I came, I visited, I posted, I saw, I participated, I was a lead, I bought something. Or on the B2B side, we had a Zoom call, a webinar, 
you attended, I followed up three times, you then bought something from us, and then now you truly have that. So until you get to whether it's a lookalike population for desired behavior or down to actual sales, you don't have a full measurement stack in place. And I think that you know the industry in general has worked really hard. It's not standardized across the industry. So every agency has their ways of doing it. I set a goal for my own team that I want to make sure we win an Effie in the foreseeable future. Obviously, we're trying to measure the effectiveness of our work. And that's one way that I can help judge our internal practice against that. And you know, when I say that I want to win an FE, it means I want to complete an FE application with a client for a client and our agency so that we can learn and continue to grow and ensure that we are delivering on best-in-class measurement and analytics for brands. And for those who might not be as familiar, what is an FE? So an FE is just one of the many awards in the industry that measures the effectiveness of marketing efforts. It's probably, I think, one of the more difficult ones to win. Requires a client partner to work with their agency partner and really be committed to sharing a lot of internal information, whether it's sales or the actual effectiveness of what they're doing, and all of it's audited. So the industry, like it's awesome to win awards. Don't get me wrong. We, you know, we won experience of the decade for BravoCon, and it certainly lifts everyone's spirits and sort of lifts our clients, and it just celebrates the great work that the agency has done. But many awards are for the industry by the industry, and those are great to win too. And so I think, you know, one of the things that I threw out as a challenge is we want to be known for the effectiveness of our work as much as we want to be known for the care and the creativity that we use in creating the experiences that we do. Love it. I know we're running towards the the end of our session here. So just a few more questions for you, Richard. One is, who's someone you look up to in events, marketing, or business in general? The people that I admire the most are the people that are on my team. It's a year to honestly honor them. I think plenty of the other folks that I would give you as names are honored and talked about quite a bit, whether it's in the trades or in business in general. But when I think about all the people and what they've all been through, when I joined the company, I joined in August. So we were not in the office. We're going back to an office-centric hybrid model, September 7th, which will be in, you know, the common three, two, mostly for the well-being of our employees. And so that, you know, we get one more like last hurrah as we head into a really busy fall. So we get people to transition from one part of their life back to their next part of their journey. And so I think those are the people that I really want to honor with your question. Those folks on my team have been through a lot and, you know, I got to meet with them one-on-one. So, you know, I joined, I couldn't go to the office. The bulk of them, I never met. I met them all on Zoom and learned about them and talked about what I was interested in and certainly, but I was way more interested in what they were doing, what they saw, the future of their role, the future of our company, the future of experiential, and frankly, just to hear that they're okay. And every person had a unique story. Every person had a unique challenge that they were trying to figure out. And I think this was a year that, you know, we kind of put humanity back into the agency business. This is a really tough business. It used to be like work hard, play hard. Now it's probably live hard. <laughs> you know, it's no more bucket list. It's living list. So I just, I really want to honor them. They're an inspiration to me. They make me every day think about 
I just need to be better. How can I be better? So my honorees for 2021 are the, <laughs> you know, the great people at Superfly and the agency team. They'll all laugh that I said this, but I remind <laughs> them this all the time. Love it. Shout out to the Superfly team. If you could give an early version of yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? COVID and changing companies and even prior to that caused me to do like a lot of self-reflection. And, you know, one of the things that I turned to and learned this past year, year plus now, is really to be more mindful, to be more aware, to practice a little more self-compassion. I see this in a lot of our young talent. They're in such a hurry to get to the next level. They're in a hurry to get to that next promotion, that there's all these external triggers that signify that they're moving forward or upward in success. And I think, you know, practicing a little mindfulness and being okay with where you are and what you're doing and realizing that everyone that surrounds you only wants you to succeed. Like no one wakes up in the morning to think, well, I don't want Brandon to succeed today. Like no one does that. And so to quiet the voices in your head, to be present where you are, and you should always be thinking about what you want to do and where you want to go and the experiences you want to have, but to be present in everything that you do and to enjoy those moments. For half the world, COVID was a disaster and probably the darkest times. For the other half of the world, it's probably been some of the better times. It's been such an individual story. So just taking time to just self-reflect and practice some self-compassion. And Rich Goodstone, always he always says this, so I'm going to borrow this from him. You know, where attention goes, energy flows. So find the spaces and places to put your attention that you love and you'll get the most amount of energy out of those and you'll really get to be a happy person and do what you truly want to do. Final question is, how can our listeners keep up with you, Superfly, and all the great work that you and your team are doing? Best thing to do is just follow us on social, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter. We post all of our work there. We post what's going on in the company. We post thought leadership. We really try to make it as easy as possible for people to connect with us. You know, we're part of a larger community, whether that's an agency community or a community of experiences. You know, we're a little bit different than many of our agency competitors because we own and operate our own properties and we work for brands too. So, you know, we kind of understand both sides of the equation. So I think the best way to do that is to follow us in those channels and certainly reach out. Most of our executives really are always looking to pay it forward and are accessible people and really just want to talk with other like-minded individuals and share what's going on. So I always encourage people to do that. Great. Well, Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. My pleasure, Brandon. It was great to be a guest on In Person. Thanks again to Richard for joining us, and thank you all for listening. If you enjoy listening to In Person, there are several ways that you can show your support. Subscribe, rate, leave us a review, and share the show with your colleagues and friends. If you'd like to share your feedback, please drop us a line at in-person You can also find full transcripts of the show along with key takeaways at inpersonpodcast.com. In Person is a production of Visivo. Today's episode was hosted by Brandon Raffleson, co-produced by Brandon and myself, and edited by Brian Peak. Music by Ian O'Hara. Until next time, I'm Rachel Rappaport. Thanks for tuning in.
you know, Superfly, it's actually quite interesting. And I did not know this when I was, you know, interviewing at the company and before I joined. What I had known the company for was essentially Bonnaroo. And I thought, well, this is a company that creates festivals. And as I began to do my own discovery, I realized that it was so much more. And when I got to meet the various founders of the company, what I learned is that they were always fascinated with experiences. And essentially what we talk about is, you know, how does the world connect, right? How do we shape the way people play and connect with each other? You know, we do that across sort of communities or fandoms. We do this across what's going on in culture, you know, what's on the minds of people, where do their interests lie? And then because, you know, we're in the business of our clients' business, we talk about commerce with our clients too. So how do you monetize whether it's their experiences or how do you make sure that somebody chooses their product over another? And over time and just looking at the company, you know, started out at Bonnaroo, you know, large scale music festival, a very difficult game. The music festival business is a tough business, being highly successful in that and launched a few others, uh, you know, outside lands, which will be in October of this year in San Francisco and Golden Gate Park. And so what you learn is that they were never really in the business of an agency serving clients. They were essentially serving themselves at the outset and creating these really meaningful experiences for you and I. And over time, clients wanted to participate in that. And so that really was the beginning of how the agency was formed, was really to meet the needs of sponsors and brands who were interested in connecting into culture. Over time, we figured out, well, how do we weave brands in and out of culture? And so we began to create some of our own IP. You know, In the pandemic, in March, I was talking with uh, Rich Goodstone, one of the founders, and he shared with me a brief to support small business owners because they knew that small business owners and particularly small businesses that are owned by minorities, were bearing the brunt of the pandemic and the losses. The company created Small Business Live, and it was six hours of programming on Instagram that raised over a million dollars to support small businesses, minority-owned businesses in particular. And I said, great. So, you know, which client did you guys write the, you know, was it an RFP? Was it a brief from a client? And he was like, no, none of the above. We just knew that we want to participate in culture and we do every day. And this was a time for us to do something, to create, to do what we do as an agency, right? To create the future of experiences. And so they did that. And then, <laughs> you know, called some brands, got some brands who were like, hey, I want to participate. Here's how I can participate. And the thing was put together in a matter of uh, weeks and, you know, a very successful program. And lives on to today. We still have clients now asking us, how can we be involved? What can we do together? And so, you know, I think that's, you know, one of the things that separates the agency. You know, we don't wait for a brief. The other part of our business, and this has really been kind of fascinating, is that, you know, we've had the Friends experience, pop-up experience. It was open in Chicago during the pandemic. It was open in New York throughout the you know last year and we certainly you know recalibrated what we were doing so that you know you could attend safely and that's been very successful so you take sort of both ends of the company and you know inside that really sits the agency and the agency's you know remit is well how do we do this for brands and it starts by well we've actually done this for ourselves when you look at these big moments in culture we actually can say well we've actually created a cultural moment 
versus some others who can say, well, we sponsored something large and our brand showed up there. That's a very different thing. So we have that unique capability. We have that unique understanding. And obviously, when you're producing experiences at the scale of some of those, we're never in a conversation about our executional capabilities. We find ourselves more in a conversation about how do we help ignite what you're trying to do from a brand perspective strategically. And that usually comes to life in an experience. That's fascinating. So not waiting for the brief, but actually going out there and creating something and then finding folks who want to be a part of that, finding brands who want to be a part of those experiences. That's very cool. And for our listeners who might not be familiar, the friends experience is more than just hanging out with, say, your friends. That was a pop-up related to the TV show. Yes. So it's how do you take something that is a cultural icon and how do you actually bring that to the masses and really reintroduce it to a whole new generation? Most of the folks probably attending the Friends experience never really watched it on terrestrial television, right? Probably streamed it and certainly don't know what it meant to culture in its first iteration. That is something that you know we brought to life so that you could have what it would be like to really live inside the lives and to get, you know, an hour plus, let's say, of escapism, maybe get some first person nostalgia, but something that's been very successful for us as a company. 